Our topic tonight is a very important topic, a great topic, as you'll see here in a minute. It's out of Jeremiah chapter 31. This is part three out of Jeremiah 31. Three different things, not interrelated at all. Tonight is the Old Covenant, New Covenant, with some question marks. What is that all about, an Old Covenant, New Covenant? So let's look at some text out of Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers when I took them out of the hand, or by the hand, out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Okay, so this is, he talks here in Jeremiah 31, 31, about a new covenant. Robert, can you do me a favor and mute all, everything except uh, this one mic, getting some kind of feedback somewhere from something. Okay, so a new covenant God's going to make. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers when I took them out of the land of Egypt. Some very key words all throughout this. So it's a new covenant that God makes, or, or the original covenant, that God made with their fathers when I took them out of the land of Egypt. Right, so that we have the timing that, of the covenant that he's talking about, because the Bible refers to, to several different covenants. And we have the, uh, the covenant that was given to Abraham. It was a, an Abrahamic covenant. And all the covenants blend together and overlap. But here he's referring specifically to the time when God took us out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so we're going to look there to see what covenant is made there and how it's worded there and what's taking place there. And so the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Not according, okay, so the one that takes place, something that takes place, about what takes place, Karen, maybe it's your guitar. Maybe you can shut off your guitar. Um, it's all muted except you. Yeah, okay. Not according to the one that happened when I took you out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke. Okay, so he says, uh, my covenant, which they broke. Who's the they? The Israelites, right, that he took out of, right, when I took you out of the, the, the house of Israel and Judah, when I took you out of the land of Egypt. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, who's doing all the work here? God. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So here, God's doing all the work. He's doing all the labor. I will put, I am doing it. He is the one that's writing it. He is writing, he's putting the law in our minds. He's writing it on our hearts. He is our God. So it's all God that's doing the covenant. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember it no more. Now, these texts that we just read out of Jeremiah 31, from 31, verse 31 to 34, are quoted two different times in the letter to the Hebrews, which is very interesting. I mean, I don't know, you 
type written letters or typed an email to someone and maybe put a Bible verse in there uh, to either make a statement or to help them or to encourage them. But how often would you write the same Bible, twi Bible verse twice in one letter? But that's what Paul does in the book of Hebrews. He quotes this Jeremiah 31. So it's three different times in the Bible. It's in Jeremiah 31 and then two different times in the book of Hebrews. I believe it's chapter 8 and chapter 10. Which again, it's pretty close together. It's not like chapter 1 and chapter 30 or something like that. So it's very interesting. It was very important. It's a very important topic then for us as well. Very important for us to get a right understanding on it because there's been some great misunderstandings regarding it that has caused tremendous problems down the line, even to our day, regarding what is the Old Covenant, what is the New Covenant. So what is a covenant in general? What is a covenant? What does it mean to have a covenant or to make a covenant? Well, a covenant is a contract. Yes, a covenant is a contract. So generally between two or more parties, that are contracting together, covenanting together. And part of a contract, which is the main thing of a covenant, we'll see a Bible text that supports that, right? Because when we want to know a definition of something that's in the Bible, or whether the word covenant or, or any other word in the Bible, where is the first place we look for a definition for that word? The Bible, that's right, that's right. You don't to go to Webster's, uh, you don't go to Google or you know, whatever uh, place. You go to the Bible, and the Bible will define itself, and we'll see a specific Bible definition for the word covenant several texts from now. But we'll see that text, it uses the word promise. So a covenant is a promise, and basically a contract is promises from two different or more parties promising that each are going to do something. Right? So if you have a contract, let's say a house contract, right? and so one party is saying, uh, I will give you the keys to this wonderful dwelling, including its property, including everything that you see, the roof and the walls and the fixtures and everything. And the other person writes on their side of the paper, I promise you, I am going to give you this much money for that. So both are promising to do their part on closing day. The money's going to be there and the keys are going to be there. Right? Whether you're selling a car or whatever it is, so a contract is promises from both sides that they are going to come through with what they promised to do. Okay? So a covenant is a promise. A covenant is a promise um, and a contract that binds those promises together and makes those promises legally binding and holding the parties to their promises. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to again see several texts from now. <coughs> statement making that very point out of the Bible. All right, so let's go to Deuteronomy 4 and look at when he brought us out of the land of Egypt, since that's what we're referred to in Jeremiah. Verse, chapter 4, Deuteronomy 4, verse 11. You stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness, and the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. Okay, so we're at the base of Mount Sinai. God is on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is firing and smoking and, and thundering and lightning. And God is speaking to us out of the midst of the fire. 
And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. The Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Okay, so he says his covenant. And now a covenant is, again, a review, a covenant is basically a contract between two uh, parties promising to fulfill their part, correct? Okay, so whose covenant is this? God. This is God's covenant, God's promises, right? So God makes the covenant, it's God's covenant, and he promises, so he's making this covenant, and he commands us to perform his covenant. Commands us to perform his promises. And then it says he commands us to perform the Ten Commandments. Now, are the commandments promises? Or are they commandments? The word there is Ten Commandments in English. But he says, I declare to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. The Ten Commandments. So from this verse, a lot of people then jump to the conclusion that the covenant is the commandments. And the word there for Ten Commandments is the word, not commandments, but it's devar or devarim. And devarim is the word, means words. That's why in some translations you'll see it says the Ten Words. There's a big difference in the English language between words and commandments. Right? Words can be anything. Words can be nouns, they can be verbs, they can be adjectives. Putting words together can be promises, can be salutations, can be encouragements, can be curses, can be uh, denunciations, can be flattery, could be commandments can be laws, can be rules, but it doesn't have to be. It can be words. And if they are the covenant, then they wouldn't just be words, but nor would they be commandments, because again, a covenant is not a commandment. Covenant is promises on each party's part. And so those words can be promises and then be the covenant. So are there promises in the Ten Commandments? Well, let's look at the commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Starting in verse 1, God spoke all these words, Devarim, saying... I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Is that a promise? Or is that a commandment? Depends how you read it. Right? So if you buy this car, and you enter into a covenant to buy this car... And when they're selling you the car, your part of the covenant, your part of the contract is to give them 
your first child and, you know, and your arm and your leg, right? <laughs> your part is to give them a bunch of money. And they say, we're going to turn over the keys and we're going to give you this nice, beautiful car, leather interior, this and that, and all these things. And it will not break down for the first five years. <laughs> now you drive off the parking lot, you drive out of the parking lot, and you get just a couple blocks down the road, and it breaks down on you. Now, whose obligation is it to fulfill their part of the contract? You already gave them the money, and they gave you the keys and everything that was listed in that contract. Who is responsible to fix that car? They are, because they made the promise. You will not break down for five years. Right? So that's the promise that they made. And so you can read that, you shall not have any other gods before me. I promise you, I am going to be such a wonderful God to you. You are going to enjoy me being your God so much that you're not even going to look at anyone else. You're not even going to think about anyone else. You're not going to have any need for anything else. You're not going to need the sun god to make the flowers grow. You're not going to need a rain god to rain on your crops. You're not going to need any other gods out there. I am enough for all, every, all your needs. I will provide all your needs according to my riches and glory. You will not need any other gods. You shall not have any other gods. I promise you. I am so wonderful. And, he, and especially if we read the preamble to that, which I believe should be part of that first commandment always, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He is stating there his reputation. Right? If you're entering into a contract, they say, oh, we've sold lots of these cars. Oh, we have had a perfect, you check uh, the Better Business Bureau, we got an A-plus rating. You can check our, our verification. We hold to our contracts. We will make it right. And he says, look, I am... I, it depends how you read it. I am so wonderful and so able to follow through with my promise, and this is my guarantee, this is my reputation, this is my, my credentials to prove that I will follow through, that you will have no other gods before me. I got, I'm the one who got you out of Egypt. I never read it that way. You couldn't get yourself out of Egypt. You were there hundreds of years. And you couldn't get out. But I got you out, poof. I brought 10 plagues and you were out. I parted that Red Sea. And just as I did that, right? Because how much part did we have to play in getting out of Egypt? I mean, other than walking, you know, I guess we could have stayed in Egypt and not gone, refused and said, no, I don't want it. I'm not leaving. I don't care if the water parted. I don't care if the firstborn died. I don't care if the other plagues take place. I'm staying here. And we can reject God's opportunities. We can reject God's promises. But God did all the work. All we had to do was believe that that wall of water was going to stay up until we got to the other side. 
and keep on walking. And he did it all. And then we're on the other side. He provides the water, provides the bread, provides for all our needs. And says, since I am the one that brought you out, I am the one who will fulfill all these next ten words. I'll provide for all your needs. You won't have to break the Sabbath. I will give you love for your parents that you'll be willing to honor them. I'll provide for all your needs. You won't have to steal from your neighbor. I'll give you so much love in your heart that you won't want to kill anyone. You will not kill. You'll be so great. I'll fill your heart with my spirit, with my power, with my goodness, that you'll become like me, that you won't lie to anyone. You won't bear false witness to anyone. And since all your needs will be met, you won't covet anything that anyone has. You will be so satisfied, you will be so content. You won't covet anything that anyone else has. They're his promises. And we can hold him to those promises. Anytime we're starting to feel angry, God, you promised me. Give me your spirit. Give me your peace. Give me your forgiveness. Let me trust in you. You'll work all things out together for good. Even though they desire it for evil, you'll bring good out of it. Give me faith. You promised. I won't kill. Hold my tongue. Right, so we can hold him to those promises. Just like your car breaking down, you can go back and say, you said five years, it's been five minutes, so you've got to fix this car. <laughs> and they should follow through with that. If they're as good as the contract's written out. And so God has a contract, God writes a contract, and he gives his credentials for it, and then he gives his ten promises, which is then his covenant. So then why would we need a new covenant? What is he referring to? Okay, continuing in Exodus. Exodus 19 now. And all the people answered together, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So what is that? We will do. Well, besides being a lie, what are, what are they stating? Right, so what, but what did we call that? I will do it. I will do it. A promise. They're making a promise. And a promise is a covenant. So they're making a covenant. We're making a covenant to God. You said all these ten words? We got it. We're okay. We'll do it. We're fine. Just watch us. So that's again like the, 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 the salesperson selling you the car. They write the contract. Five years, you will not break down. And you say, don't worry. I promise you, I will not let that car break down. I will take such good care of that car. I will change the oil. I will change the spot. I'll watch that car. I will not let it break down under any circumstances at all. So now you're making promises. They didn't ask you to make any promises. And there was no part of that page where it said that you're responsible to keep it from breaking down for five years. They said that's their part of the covenant. But you go along and say, no, 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 I'll take care of that. I will do that. I will make sure the car will not break down for five years. 
And you write that in there. You don't have to write that. I want to write that in there. I'm going to put that in there. And so now you go five miles down the road, a few blocks down the road, and the car breaks down. Who's now responsible? Who made the promise that it wasn't going to break down? So they, we took it upon ourselves. We said, okay, God, we got your ten promises. We got your ten words. We will do them. We're strong enough. We're able. We believe we're going to do it. We can handle this. We're good. We got some inner goodness that we'll just conjure up here and we'll do these things. You watch us. We couldn't get out of Egypt. We couldn't part the Red Sea. We couldn't bring the ten plagues. We couldn't even escape if we wanted to. But we can do this. This much we can handle. You've been real helpful so far, and now it's our turn. We're going to handle it now. We can, we can take over now. We got this one. Thank you so much for your help. Now we're going to show you how mature we are. We're grown up. We can handle this. And we're making promises. And we're making a covenant that no one asked for. Exodus 24, verse 7, Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So in chapter 19, we're just hearing it. God's speaking from the mountain. Then chapter 20, Moses goes up on the mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments. In chapter 20, he lists the Ten Commandments. And he comes back down with them, and chapter 24, we reiterate our promise, and we add to it. We will do it, and we will be obedient. How long did that last? Not even six weeks. That is the covenant. that is faded away and needs to be done away with. Our promises, our covenant. God, I will do better next time. I will be good. I will never do that again. You watch me. New Year's resolutions. Our own promises, our own covenant Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So God kind of ignores what they says, and then he ratifies his covenant. Right? This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made. Then say that we made together, your part, my part, we'll work this as a team. This is the covenant the Lord has made with you according to all these words. And that's the word devarim again. Same word that's translated as commandments in the other verse. He's talking about his Ten Commandments. This is the blood, and so he ratifies the covenant with blood. And covenants in the Bible are ratified with blood. Abraham had a, when he made that covenant, ratified with blood. And, and the circumcision, Brit Malah, ratified with blood, the covenant. So God then sprinkles blood upon the people, foreshadowing the Messiah's covenant ratification, sealing the covenant, sealing the promise. I thought the blood covenant, sealed with blood, signed with blood. 
God didn't ask the people to bleed. He didn't say, prick your finger or thumb, you know, what is that blood, you know, the thumb, thummy, you know, blood things or anything like that. They offer a sacrifice, and those sacrifices pointed forward to the Messiah's death. So it's God who's providing the blood. It's like with Abraham and Isaac. Isaac says to Abraham, where's the blood for the, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham said, God will provide himself the sacrifice. And he did, provide the ram caught in the thicket. So God provided himself in the Messiah as the sacrifice for us, shedding the blood for us. He didn't ask us to shed any blood. He said, everyone cut their finger and pour some blood here. Everyone give some blood and we'll both have blood. I'll give my blood of the lamb and then you give some blood from the people. He's not asking for any blood from the people. He's not asking for anything from the people. It's his covenant that he will do So now in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 6. Yeshua is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Okay, so two covenants. A new covenant and an old covenant. And so he's going to establish a new one on better promises because if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So this old covenant, could that be the Ten Commandments? If the first covenant, right, so is the Ten Commandments the first covenant or this better covenant? If the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. If the Ten Commandments are the Old Covenant, if the Ten Commandments are that first covenant that needs to be done away with, if that's the Ten Commandments, or God's Ten Words, then that's saying there was fault with them. Right? You follow that? Because it's saying if there, if, there was, if there was no problem with it, if it had been faultless, then there'd be no need for a better one. But there was a problem with it. There was a problem with this Old Covenant. There was a problem with this first covenant. Is there a problem with the Ten Commandments? Is there a problem with God's Ten Words? Is there a problem with the words that God wrote himself with his own finger? Is there a problem with the words that God wrote onto stone? Was there a problem, is there fault with the words that God had placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, inside the Holy of Holies, inside the temple, which was covered with the mercy seat, which God's Shekinah glory hovered over, which was anointed with blood every young Kippur? Is there fault with not coveting from your neighbor? Is there fault with not murdering? Is there fault with not stealing? Is there fault with not bearing false witness? Is there fault with honoring your father and your mother? Is there fault with having no other gods before God, the Lord God Almighty? Is there fault with not using his name in vain? Is there any fault with any of the Ten Commandments? Well, that'd be blasphemy to say yes. <laughs> that'd be saying God made a mistake. 
I mean, God made a fault. God made a, God didn't know what he was doing. God made a typo somewhere or something. So obviously that can't be the promises. That can't be the covenant that was, had fault. That can't be what it needs to be replaced. So what is the covenant that needs to be replaced? A lot of people fall for that. A lot of people jump to the conclusion that it's the Ten Commandments that was the Old Covenant and need to be replaced. And so they say the Ten Commandments are done away with. Oh, so it's okay for me to steal now? Well, no, we've added it back in. Oh, it's okay for me to murder now? No, well, we've added it back in. (laughs) Obviously, it can't be the Ten Commandments that is the covenant that was, had fault and needs to be replaced. So what is the covenant that had fault? What is the word, another word for covenant again? Promises. What, are the, what was the promise that had fault? Where was the faulty promise? Whatever you say, we will do. It was a lie. Not so much a purposeful lie. <laughs> But it was a boastful, presumptuous, no different than Peter. I will not denounce you. How many hours did that last? That didn't even last six weeks. That didn't even last six hours. That hardly lasted 60 minutes. We will do it. I will know. Even if everyone else denies you, I will never deny you. Our own promises are worthless. God doesn't ask us for any promises. He asks us to believe his promises. He knows we can't follow through on our own without him. So he doesn't ask for any promises. His covenant is a one-way contract. He not only provided the car, but he paid for it as well. Now, if it's that good, if the gospel is that good, he... he he gives us the car and pays for it as well, then who could possibly be lost? Well, if he paid for the car and the registration and the tags and the taxes and gives us the keys and paid for it, is it possible that someone would walk out the door, leave the keys on the table, and never drive the car? Is that physically possible? Yes, it is. Do they ever benefit from the car that was given to them? No. It was gifted to them, but they never benefit from it. God has already provided the sacrifice for us. God has already provided salvation for us. God has already provided the power in the promises to be obedient to him. It's all provided. And we can say, no, thank you. I don't want it. I'm doing okay on my own. I can handle this without you. And continue to live in sin. And continue to try and make New Year's resolutions and try to be harder and try to be better spouses and try to be better parents and try to be better children and try to be better neighbors and fail miserably, miserably, miserably all the time. Or we can accept his promises, his power, his assurance, his spirit, 
and allow him to write his laws into our hearts and minds and make all the difference in the world. And as good as that is, a new car fully paid for, the vast majority of people walk away without the car. The vast majority of the people walk away from God's salvation. The vast majority of people either are saying, well, I still want to pay for that car, so I'm going to go out and do everything I can to earn it, and when I earn enough, I'll come back and get those keys. And another whole portion of the vast majority are saying, well, I can run faster than that car anyway, so I don't really need it. And we go on living our lives without God's promises. And then there's a whole other portion of people who say, well, God's commandments, God's words, God's promises were, had fault with them, had mistakes with them, and they're impossible for us to do. You can't drive that car anyway. It's no good. The tires are going to go flat. It's going to run out of gas, and it's not going to be good. And so we just throw that car away, and we will just make our own car. And we'll drive that instead. And we'll just tell everybody it's God's car. And so they end up replacing God's commandments with man-made commandments. So it's not God's covenant that had fault and needed to be done away with, but it was our promises that have fault and still have fault and need to be done away with. And then he quotes from Jeremiah 31, finding fault with them. Who's the them? Right, Yeshua is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, well, before I finish that, okay, Yeshua is the mediator of a better covenant. Who was in the burning bush? Yeshua was in the burning bush. Yeshua is the mediator of the better covenant. Who is walking in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, making promises to them? Yeshua. Who was it that met Abraham and walked and talked with Abraham and made a covenant with him and promises with him of a child and, and the land and everything else? Who was that? That was Yahweh. That was the Lord, right? That the Lord God Almighty in human form. And so who was that? That was Yeshua. So Yeshua has been making the better promises since the very beginning of time. And he's been ratifying and reiterating those promises over and over again to Adam and Eve and to Abraham and to Noah and to Abraham and to Moses and to the children of Israel and the children of Judah. The same promises, I will be there for you. I will see you through. I will deliver you. I will get you out of Egypt. I will get you out of the flood. I will get you through this. I will forgive you. So Yeshua is the mediator of the better covenant that goes back to the very beginning, which is established on better promises. We're going to see some of those better promises in a minute. 
For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been found for a second. Finding fault with them. So who's the them? Who had fault? Finding fault with them. Who had fault? The house of Israel. That's right. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, the house of China, the house of Ethiopia, the house of North America, the house of Florida, the your house, my house, <laughs> us. That's where the fault is. The fault is not with God, and the fault is not with God's promises. The fault is not with God's commandments or God's words. The fault is you and me. Finding fault with them, the people, humans, Adam and Eve. We are the fault ones. Not the them, but again, a lot of people look at that, finding fault with them, thinking the Ten Commandments. There's no fault with the Ten Commandments. Paul even says they are perfect. Finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, and now he's quoting directly from Jeremiah 31, 31. Says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, I will be their God and they shall be my people. What is he going to write on our minds and hearts? God's laws. Then say, I will make new laws. That's how a lot of people read that. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will change the laws. I'll get rid of all those old laws and I'm going to just make some real simple ones because you guys couldn't do those other ones. They were too hard for you. I should have known better. How foolish I am. I don't know why I didn't see that coming. I'll make it easier for you. I mean, how easier could he have made it than making a whole garden filled with fruit trees and only one Tree, he says, stay away from. Can't get much easier than that. So he doesn't change the laws. I will put my laws. Didn't say different laws. I will put my laws. He doesn't say what those laws are here. Why doesn't he have to say what laws they are? Why doesn't he have to detail what the laws are? Because they're the same. He already did. He already wrote them in stone. He already put them in the Ark of the Covenant. That's already established. Those are his laws. So he doesn't have to say, I will put these things in your mind. I will put this and this and this and this and this. I will put my laws, the same ones from the beginning. So what's the difference here? What's the new part of this that's different than when at Mount Sinai. He's not writing them on stone. He's writing them on the heart. He's putting them in the mind. Now, it mentions that back in Deuteronomy 2. So he wanted to do it then as well. It's from the very beginning. It's again, God's covenant, God's better promises are from the beginning. The problem was, again, we didn't want it in our minds. We didn't want it in our hearts. We wanted to just do it on our own. So he puts the laws, and who's doing all the work here? God. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be 
I promise you, they will be my people. And so it's his promise. He puts them in us. And then he manifests them through them. And then he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. And so those who try and interpret it as the covenant being the Ten Commandments, they then go with this verse and say, see, the Ten Commandments are obsolete. They're becoming obsolete and growing old and vanishing away. And so then we say, well, then we don't need those Ten Commandments. We're okay without them. We'll just follow whatever ones we want. We'll just love God and we'll just love our neighbor. What does that mean, love God and love your neighbor? Well, I don't know. I'll pray to him every once in a while. Show up to services every once in a while. I'll give a few bucks here and there. I don't know. I'll wave to my neighbor. That, that qualifies as loving them, I guess. That'll be good enough. It's just so vague. But God explains what it means to love God. Not to have any other gods before him. Not to use his name in vain. To honor his Sabbath day. He delineates, oh, not to worship any idols. He delineates what it means to love your neighbor. Don't steal from him. Don't murder him. Don't lie to him. Don't covet what they have. Honor your parents. Don't commit adultery. That's what it means to not love your neighbor and to love God. He delineates it. He explains it. And he summarized them in love God and love your neighbor. It's not a replacement. It's a summary. So they're not vanishing and being done away with. What God wrote in stone Maybe we even have a saying. Well, it's not right, written in stone. When we say, well, it wasn't written in stone, we're saying, well, it's not binding. It's not everlasting. It's not permanent. But God did write it in stone because it is permanent and it is everlasting and it is binding. But he not only writes it in stone, he writes it on our hearts and puts it in our mind. And now if it's inside our mind and written on our heart, what comes out? If you put a DVD into a DVD player, what comes out? What comes out on the screen? What comes out of the speakers? Whatever you put in, right? If you put VeggieTales in there, what's going to come out on the screen? <laughs> yeah. If you put some pornography in there, what's going to come out on the screen? Right? So if God writes his laws into our minds and into our hearts, then that's what will be lived out in our lives. And it's God then doing it in us and through us and for us. The DVD player doesn't have to do much work. It just has to spin the right way. The TV doesn't have to, it's all, you put the right DVD in and it should automatically come out. God puts his laws in and then obedience comes forth. That's God's promises. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, 
how much more shall the blood of the Messiah, so there again, the, the covenant is ratified by his blood. How much more shall the blood of the Messiah cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So God's covenant, writing the laws in our hearts and in our minds, mentioned twice in this book of Hebrews, ratified by the blood of Messiah, which cleanses our minds from dead works. What are dead works? Whatever you say, I will do. Worthless promises lead to dead ends. Dead works are our own works. I will do it, working our way. I will obey. I will do. Well, since I didn't do so good there, I'll make something up and do it some way else. I'll make up for it some other way. I know your commandment said to do it that way, but I, this way is more convenient for me. So I'll do it this way. Dead works. He cleanses our conscience from wanting to do dead works. And then he gives us the power to serve the living God. How do we serve the living God? By being obedient. Love our God, loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. By being obedient. Obedient servants. Walking in his ways. So let's look at some of these wonderful promises he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Yeshua the Messiah. Who's doing all the work? God. Where is he doing all the work? In us. Right. He who has begun a good work in you will. That's a promise. He will do it. Will complete it until the day of Yeshua the Messiah. These are the better promises that God made. He puts his laws in us, and then he began the good work, and he will complete the good work. Not you got us out of Egypt, and now we're going to be good. No, he began it. I saved you. I died for you. I forgave you. And now I will empower you to serve me. Philippians 2, verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Who's doing all the work? God. His promises, bitter promises, powerful promises. It is God. God is the one who works in us. He's doing the work. Not only the part way, not only the beginning way, but through it all. Both to will, to desire, to choose, and to do of his good pleasure. Again, at Mount Sinai, God said, this is my will. This is what I want for you. I took you out of Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you loving to your neighbors. I'm going to make you loving to your spouses. And we said, we will do it. He says, I didn't ask you to do it. I will do both the willing and the doing in you for my good pleasure. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me? Who's doing all the work? Messiah. He's the one who strengthens us, and he's the one who does it through us. 
And we do it through him, through his power, through his grace, through his strength. Now those are all, you know, in the book of Philippians, right? Well, what about long before the book of Philippians was written? The book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Psalms. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. 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 You shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. You shall be holy to me for I, the Lord, am holy. <laughs> Who's doing all the work? God. And where is that written? In the old vanishing away, faulty promises, obsolete Old Testament. Is that what's old? Is that what's vanishing away? Is that the old covenant? That God sanctifies us? That God makes us holy? God forbid. It's the same promises as in Philippians. It's the same better promises mediated by a better covenant, by a better mediator, the Lord himself. He sanctifies us, means makes us holy. Over and over and over again. He will make us holy, he will make us holy, he will make us holy. Not hear my laws, you go do them. I will sanctify you. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You will be holy, I promise you. Why? Because I am holy. You shall be holy. Why? For I am the Lord your God am holy. And I will make you holy. And in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. According to Psalm 119, is it possible to not sin against God? Not according to what you think, but according to the Psalm... <laughs> Is it possible to not sin against God? How? By hiding your word. Devar. God's words, God's Ten Commandments, God's laws. Where? In my heart. Isn't that the better promises? I will write my laws in your heart. And you will do them. That's from Psalm 119. It's the same promises. God's promises, God's covenant. Nowhere does it say, I will try harder. This thing, I'm trying. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to gain the victory. I'm trying to give that habit up. I'm trying to be better. I'm going to do better. I'll be more generous next year. I'll be more loving next year. I'll be more patient next time not asking for any of that. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. It's God's work. He comes into us. Some more better promises. Colossians 1.27 Messiah in you, the hope of glory. That is a great promise. He writes his laws into our hearts and minds. He comes into us. Him in us is that hope of glory. 2.24 to him who is able to keep you from falling. Who's the him? God. Who keeps us from falling? God. 
to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forevermore. Amen. He keeps us from falling. His word in our heart and mind keeps us from sinning. Not doing away with the laws that make them possible for us to, it's not a lessening of them or doing away with them or changing of them or rewriting them. It's a placing them in the right place in our hearts and in our mind by God's power through his spirit. 1 John 2 verse 1, I write to you so that you sin not. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua the Messiah. Now why would John write, I write to you so that you sin not, if he didn't believe it was possible to keep the Ten Commandments? Is it possible? I can do all things through Yeshua the Messiah who strengthens me. He is able to keep me from falling. He is able to present me faultless before his throne of grace. He is able to sanctify me. He is able to make me holy because he is holy. And if he lives in us, then we will be holy also. These are the better promises. And they're all throughout the Bible. The Old Covenant is our own worthless promises. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Messiah, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the Old Covenant says, I'm going to do better. I will live better. The life I now live is going to be better. I'm going to try harder. That's not what this says. It's the Messiah who lives in us. And it's faith in him that gives us victory. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you that was in Messiah Yeshua. Did he have, did Yeshua have the laws of God written into his mind and into his heart? Did he keep the Ten Commandments? Did he ask for any shortcuts? Did he ask for them to be done away and replaced with something else? He was sinless. He was spotless. And he wants to give us that same mind. He wants to fill us with his spirit. He wants to come in us and live in us. And empower us. So that the covenant, so that the promises can be lived out in us and through us. And we can stop making excuses and faulty, weak, useless promises of our own. Is that good news? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and preserve you 
blameless at the coming of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. I mean, that is powerful. That is wonderful. He's going to sanctify me and preserve me. Blameless. Until his coming. It's not after. Some people think they become sanctified after they die. We rot after we die. <laughs> we become sanctified after we die. <laughs> we become better after we die. We become worse when we're dead. <laughs> He preserves us until the coming of the Messiah. So people think it's only in heaven that will be nice. Well, in heaven, I'll love my neighbor. My neighbor happens to be in heaven, well, then I'll like him. <laughs> you happen to be in heaven, well, then I'll forgive you. Because <laughs> I'll be nicer then. I'll be sanctified then. I'll have holy flesh then. Or something. When does he sanctify us? Completely? After death? After heaven? In the here and now. And he preserves us blameless when? After he comes or before he comes? Before he comes. And that's what brings about his coming. When people stop believing, start believing this and stop making excuses and trying to do it in our own strength, that's when he can come. And that's what we're waiting for. Well, that's what he's waiting for. For us to believe. To surrender. To let him work in us and through us. And so as we prepare to pray, if any of those promises that we just read, and that's just a small sampling, if you want to grab a hold of any of those promises, say, God, yes, sanctify me. Yes, God, make me holy. Yes, God, both will in me and do in me. God, give me victory. Some specific area in your life. You want to claim his promise, his covenant, for him to work in you, and to give you victory and make you blameless in that area. When we pray, surrender that to the Lord. If you want his laws written into your mind, that you love his law, that you meditate on it all day long, when we pray, claim his promise that he will write his law into your mind. You want his laws written into your heart that you love them, that you desire them, that you pant for them like a deer panting for water. Ask him to write his laws into your heart. If you made some promises to God or promises to other people that you haven't fulfilled, and you want to let go of those promises. If you've been trying to be better, you've been trying to be good, I invite you to stop and surrender and give up and let God drive the car. Let God fulfill his promise. Let God fulfill his purpose. Let God fulfill his plan let him take over and let him do it in you and through you. So if any of those areas apply to you, in a moment when we pray, you can invite God to come in. If you've thought that the Ten Commandments were old and faulty and needed to be done away, impossible to do, impossible to keep, 
And you want to set aside that stinking thinking. And maybe it's been ground in there after years and decades of hearing it over and over again. If you thought the Old Testament is old, obsolete, you want to put that aside. Let God give you new thinking. And that takes a miracle of God when it's been in our minds for so long. And you want to surrender that to the Lord. And let him give you a new mind that thinks rightly in relation to this topic and every topic. When we pray, let us ask God to cleanse our mind of the dead works through the blood of Messiah, the dead lies that have been pumped into us. If any of those things apply to you, let us pray and let God work in that area of your life or maybe some other area that God's speaking to you personally about. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we are thankful that you have made such wonderful promises to us, guarantees that you have covenanted to us to be our God and to make us your people to deliver us out of bondage, to live in us. Work your power in our lives. We want to surrender all to you. We want you to forgive us and cleanse us of all our self-attempts and all our faults and all our weaknesses and all our lies. Just crucify us with you and come and live in us and manifest your power through us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.